Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for part one of a two-part conversation with Rachel Lang and host Michael Lerner. Rachel Lang, welcome to the new school at Commonweal. Thank you so much, Michael. I'm so happy to be here. Rachel, you are uh, a new friend. Uh, We were introduced by a beloved friend of both of ours uh, who said to me, uh, Michael, I think you would enjoy a reading with Rachel Lang. (laughs) I always listen to her. She is um, a deeply mystically versed person who has been unbelievably effective in the outer world as well, Mm -hmm. but comes from a place of immense access to um, spirit. And so I emailed you and we did a wonderful reading uh, uh, just uh, a few weeks ago, actually. And after it, I asked you if you would be interested in doing a spiritual biography, which, as you know, is one of the formats we do. I've done a lot of. And you were kind enough to say, yes, so here we are. Yes, here we are. So as we begin, um, where do you find yourself today? What what reflections do you have on doing this together? Mm, I really I'm in a space of gratitude for Mm -hmm. for the person who connected us, who is just such a dear person in my life. And um, and I I have so enjoyed getting to know you through our reading and then also subsequently in prep in preparing for our conversation today. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm just in, I'm just really feeling grateful mm-hmm. uh, to be, to be here, to be with you. So in your, on your website, in your public persona, how do you describe your work? I describe my work as, well, I I combine two different things. I am an astrologer and I'm a certified astrologer. So I know a lot of the the technical aspects of astrology. I know the math, Um, but I'm also a psychic medium. And so what I do in my sessions is I really merge the two. And more more than helping people navigate the direction of their lives, I'm really looking on a deeper level at where are the places where you get stuck? Where, what are the big storylines that you're working through in your life? And how can I support your hero or heroine's journey? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I, I work with businesses as well as individuals. Um, and uh, And I find that, you know, one of the great things about astrology is that everything corresponds to everything else. You know, every everything in your environment, you can look at your room and there's an astrological correspondence for everything. And so astrology really connects the heaven and earth. It connects us with the cosmos from the microcosm to the macrocosm. And I just love the way um, the way doing astrology has shaped my own perspective of the world, um, seeing things in symbol, in metaphor, um, helping to shape my own story, and then doing that, offering that same gift for other people as well. Mm. 
You have just written a new book, which you were kind enough to share with me in advance. Um, it's about magic. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we get into the book, uh, was it a hard decision for you or an easy decision to write a book about magic? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> um, the decision, it, it wasn't really a conscious decision. It all unfolded. And I think when spirit is leading you to something and there's you're part of a of a of a plan that goes beyond your own understanding, it just things just you get swept into the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that that writing the book was the most beautiful process I've ever been through. Mm-hmm. Um, leading up to the writing of the book, though, I worked through a whole lot of of just my own resistance to 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 working with magic, to really stepping into my power, and um, and and so that was the part that took some effort. Um, but the writing just flowed; it just happened. And um, if we were to do kind of the sociology of the fields we're talking about, uh, you know, some viewers will come to this and they'll hear uh, that we're talking about astrology and psychic mediumship and magic, and they will be completely uh, stunned that um, that we're having a conversation about three things, none of which they believe in. Let me just. (laughs) I mean, in other words, I I just want to start by placing this in the context of the broader culture that is skeptical, skeptical about astrology, probably even more skeptical about psychic mediumship. And then magic takes it even a step beyond that. Isn't that basically true sociologically yes yes oh you oh you're so good yes so i think we to 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 explore this question and this topic i think we need to go back to the time when we started separating when we started separating religion from earth we started separating god from earth and when we started to disconnect from our own our own spiritual power and we started to hand it over to a deity or to deities that were outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is, there's a, a, a long, long history of, of, um, of using the word magic in a derogatory way um, for the purpose of colonization. And this is where we learned to separate religion and spirituality from magic. This is where we learned to separate science from magic. And so what's happened is throughout patriarchal culture, anytime a group of people has wanted to marginalize another group of people, they've accused them of doing spiritual practices that involve magic. Not anytime, I should say many times, not, not, not every time, but many times this has happened. And so this is the history that 
that we um, that we are kind of moving moving through and moving away from today. And uh, you know, the ancients these are these are ancient astrologies and ancient practice. Mm-hmm. And during the times that there has been the like during Renaissance periods, during the time of the of the most advancement in terms of our philosophy, in terms of thought, in terms of invention and innovation, astrology has been at the forefront. Um, we see this during the Renaissance, for example. Um, we see this throughout throughout the culture. And so it's always been there and it's always been a part of things. And um, and and so I think what's happening right now in our culture is that we are balancing the power structures that have been out of balance and that have been out of place. We are starting to see beyond binaries, beyond good and bad, right and wrong, male and female, heaven and earth. We're starting to integrate more. And and there's been an awakening of the divine feminine, which is is the embodiment of spirit in our within ourselves and within the earth. It's it's a reconnection to the earth. And I think when we look at the things in, that are happening in the world with climate change, with um, so many of the, you know, police violence, when we look at the things that are happening in the world that are destroying the world, I think we can see the effects of that separation and so we need a spiritual shift in the world right now, in our culture, that brings us back to the earth, that brings us back to the practices of our indigenous ancestors, and that brings us back into relationship and into harmony with ourselves, with one another, and with the earth. And so we're seeing right now a major movement toward astrology, toward working with magic, that I've I haven't seen since I started doing this work about 20 years ago. And, and so I've asked, answered a lot of questions about, about, you know, is astrology real? I've I've faced a lot of those, those questions that you're asking um, throughout my career. And it's 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 clear to me that that right now the spiritual shift that we need is a shift toward magic. It's a shift toward um, toward bringing the bringing our spiritual selves, our full spiritual selves, into the world, in a way that heals the world, and that heals ourselves and heals one another. And I think that's what astrology, that's what magic, that's what super rational knowledge, so psychic awareness, intuition, things that we can't quantify. That's the gift that those bring. Is is the embodiment of the divine. That's beautiful. Uh, so many thoughts come to me just from my own perspective that I'd like to share with you briefly. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more about the ancient roots of astrology. And um, there are so many different ways to hold astrology. Uh, you may know the work of Rick Tarnas. Yes, yeah, very well. Yeah. So, you know, Tarnas's work he makes the argument rather powerfully that there are very real in this world connections between when major figures are born and their astrological patterns. And I mean, he has gone to great lengths to demonstrate that's very compelling. 
Uh, that said, one doesn't need to take astrology as concretely as that uh, to do what Carl Jung did with astrology and many others, which is to say, whether, whether one believes or not that a specific birth date creates such a specific fate, which I, I, I'm inclined to believe, and certainly uh, Tarnas and I know you and others do, but it's also one of the richest symbolic systems that's ever been created. Mm -hmm. And so one can take it entirely at a symbolic level uh, and see it as an extraordinary polytheistic expression of um, of the most profound human archetypes, mm-hmm. uh, and and in fact, t- not taking it literally, but taking it symbolically as an expression of the most profound archetypes, connects us and taps us in to very deep levels of our own awareness. So for me, there are these two dimensions of it. Now, you mentioned the Renaissance specifically, and that brings me right back to Marsilio Ficino, who was, uh, you know, the greatest Neoplatonist astrologer of the Renaissance, and who was, in fact, the inspiration for the great archetypal work of uh, James Hillman, uh, who was a student of Carl Jung, the most eminent student of Carl Jung, and who turned Jung on his head, turned Freud and Jung on their heads, and revisioned archetypal psychology as a, a polytheistic uh, view of the world uh, and tapped deeply into the deep feminine as uh, a central theme. So I just bring all that in because I want to indicate how profoundly what you're saying about astrology resonates for me. Mm. Uh, So I want to stop there for a moment, let you respond to that, and then go on beyond astrology to uh, magic and other themes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I think you're absolutely right that astrology offers us a language of symbols that doesn't just tell us the themes and the 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 waves of 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 energy that were that were a part of and that we're connected to it just doesn't just tell us what is happening it tells us why so it allows us to see meaning and to to really understand the nuances of our own story every planet for those of for those who who have no idea what astrology is every planet represents a whole cascade of symbols it represents a part of our body. So we can actually even look at astrology and see why certain things are happening for us health-wise. Um, it, it gives us a perspective of what's happening with culture. And when we and so what we can do in a mundane way, looking at events that are happening in the world, we can also do with our own lives by looking at our birth chart. The birth chart is every, every single birth chart is so different and so unique. Patterns don't repeat themselves for thousands and thousands of years. And with astrology, it's a time clock. Every planet has a cycle and these cycles are always working together and we're a part of that. And so when I look at a birth chart, I see 
I see a, a moment frozen in time in the memory and the life of the universe. And that person is a walking, living uh, embodiment of that moment in time. And so astrology is really an opportunity, gives us an opportunity to see ourselves connected to, to people, to the, to the cosmos in ways that are, that are mind blowing and beyond, um, beyond our comprehension. Hmm. I'm going to do something vulnerable here. You, you, uh, we did a reading together. I was born October 22nd, 1943. Uh, I've had some major health challenges this year, an abdominal aortic aneurysm that uh, could have killed me easily. And, um, was actually discovered by my physical therapist who has osteopathic skills. And she put her hands on top of my head and was guided to my abdomen and discovered the aneurysm. And so I did a major surgery and was recovering well for seven months, was told I could exercise, exercised and developed some hernias along the, the ventral line. Uh, which I am living with as I contemplate whether to live with them or do a surgery. So I told you all these things. Um, and, um, and I'm 77, and there's a part of me that is fully aware that we lose everything at one level in our lives, and that I'm able to take these in as a spiritual practice, you know, as part of um, that process of eventual loss. Uh, my spirits are very good. My work is good. But so I, I came to you with this on my plate and sort of just asking you what you saw. Mm -hmm. So um, in a way that you could share, that we could share with others, how did you... How did you see me through your lens of astrology and how did your intuition or psychic abilities blend with your astrological gifts to create the very powerful images that you shared with me? Well, the first the first thing I did was um, and you'll see me in session. I will I will refer to the chart and then I'll I'll check in with my with my guides or with, you know, I'll check in with spirit, with your guides, with my guides. And so the first thing I was drawn to in your chart without, without, um, you know, breaking confidentiality or, or getting too, too, uh, too personal. The first thing I, I looked at, I mean, I look at what planet rules the stomach, what planet is related to the solar plexus, and what stands out to me in terms of what transits you have going on. So transits are when the planets in the heavens today form angular or aspect relationships with your natal chart. And they indicate, here's what's happening. Here's, you know, here's what's going on. These are the big themes in your life. And so the first thing I know that the stomach is, relates to the moon, which is the point of nourishment, the point that connects us with our family and so anytime there's a stomach concern, there's usually something involved with the moon. But the fact that it was your entire solar plexus area 
led me to think about, okay, there's this is the sign of Leo and it's the sun. The sun is our solar plexus chakra. So every planet relates to a different chakra system, but there's also every, every single little point in your body has um, an astrological correspondence. So I was immediately drawn to your moon, which is in the sign of Leo, which is the sign that relates to the solar plexus chakra. And they're both connected to your north node, which is, it's a point of, it's a point of purpose. It's like where, where our light wants to shine. And both of these points for you were, were in a challenging relationship with both Saturn and Uranus. And so I see this as being like a part of a storyline of dealing with Leo themes of leadership, power, authority, um, and, uh, and finding new ways to creatively express yourself. So I was able to see sort of a mind-body connection between those, between those themes. And that's when I did, I, I sort of put a, my medical intuitive hat on to see if, you know, to, then I put, then I go into the psychic space. And when I'm working with a physical ailment, I can actually go into the body like someone would do remote viewing and see what, what's the situation and what can help, what can hurt. And sometimes it's incredible the kinds of information that come up. Um, you know, yesterday I had a client who is dealing with, um, her, a, an illness with her daughter's genetic, a genetic condition. And when I was doing in that psychic space, I, I heard, uh, the name of an enzyme that I have never heard before. I didn't even know it was a thing. And I wrote it down and I said, I have to do some Googling. And it turns out there's an enzyme therapy for this particular genetic condition. And I was able to offer it to the mother. And it turns out there's a lot of research on the subject that her doctor didn't know about. So it's, it's, I'm always so humbled and so amazed at the way spirit wants to participate in our lives in really specific ways. Yeah, it, it, it truly is extraordinary. Um, I've done uh, several readings with a medical intuitive named Martine Blochiot, who uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Cynthia Lee, who's a physician, uh, trained with and has become a medical intuitive herself. So I've watched a friend study medical intuitive work, consulted with that uh, medical intuitive, and also been connected through uh, another colleague, Dr. Russ Jaffe, with, you know, the kind of Olga Worrell and that tradition. So I have no question that medical intuition is real. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I went to um, to Virginia Beach and went through the Edgar Casey files, you know, and really studied Casey for a while. For those who don't know, Edgar Casey was one of the greatest medical intuitives of all time. So I have zero question. In fact, I would say the evidence for the reality of medical intuitive access to very specific information is stronger than the evidence uh, on astrology. In other words, astrology is a symbolic system 
you know, Rick Tarnas and others and you can make the case for how real the correspondences are. But medical intuition is very specific and concrete in, in some instances. And so what that says to me, and this relates to the whole tradition of studying ESP phenomena, there are simply ways of knowing things that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And they're very real. In other words, there's no question to me about the reality of these things. So medical intuition and the reading you did with me and and how helpful you were on some of the questions I faced about whether to do a second surgery or when, all those kinds of things, I knew it was grounded in perception. That said, when one works with medical intuitives, one always has to ask, when is the information accurate and when is some aspect of their personality or simply their reading getting in the way? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and that's a very real question that people who completely believe in medical intuitives, uh, for example, they sometimes suggest that you not ask leading questions, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but do you as a medical intuitive have to, do some kind of query, internal query about checking yourself or or not? Mm, that's yeah, yes, absolutely. Well, I think I think with all any psychic information mm-hmm. before, I mean, but with any psychic information we or astrology, we all bring our perspectives into the work. And so I actually do quite a bit before I go into session to to disconnect from myself so that I can be an open channel. Mm-hmm. And I think I think you really bring up a good point which is you know astrology, medical intuition, psychic the, these are all part of the tools that we have at our at our access that get our disposal but but I think we want to do any of those practices in conjunction with going to see the Western medical doctor or going to your acupuncturist. Like this is part of a system. And sometimes we see things symbolically. Um, Sometimes it can, the messages can be really literal. Um, And astrology does, I mean, because cycles repeat themselves, you can track, you know, during this cycle, surgery is not like surgery is not the most um, effective, not right now, but maybe next year or not right at this time. So you can time things out. Um, uh, but I think, I think you always have to, to consult multiple sources and, and, and ultimately we always have to bring it back within ourselves. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think everything in our lives gives us the opportunity to to go within and and fine tune our intuition and and assess whether or not something resonates with us. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Rachel Lang and host Michael Lerner. In your book and also in a, a YouTube a conversation you did with uh, with within the last year, um, you talk about. Having grown up in uh, a Roman Catholic tradition, uh, 
that was actually an unusual Roman Catholic tradition that uh, actually encouraged you uh, to talk with angels and and didn't shut you down. Praised this. So uh, tell us a little bit. Let's let's start at the beginning. Uh, where were you born? I was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh. Oh, what kind of family did you grow up in? I have a very interesting family. They're they're kind of you know my parent. I'm the oldest of five, mm-hmm. and and like you said, my parents uh, participated in what's what's called the charismatic renewal. So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of a Pentecostal movement within the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. And what kind of family was it? And what what did your father do for a living? My dad is an artist. Mm-hmm. And he taught elementary art growing up. And my mom stayed home with us for part of my childhood. She babysat. Um, she, you know, she's this very creative. She was a photojournalist. And she decided to to take time off when she mm-hmm. had us. So, so we didn't have, I mean, you know, being the oldest of five, we didn't have a lot of resources. Um, but we, they always found a way for us to get good education or to have the things we need. Um, And I think I I was raised to be just really resourceful, really creative, and very, had a very deep spiritual life as a child. Uh, Were they both uh, native Catholics by birth? Yes, they were. So born in St. Louis, your father an artist, your mother a photojournalist who stayed home. Uh, both of them were native Catholics. Uh, did they become part of the charismatic renewal, or was that what they were born into? They became part of it. And I think, you know, I think they really wanted, I have two Scorpio parents, and Scorpio, the very intense, very dynamic, very charismatic, and they wanted. I think what they were drawn to with the charismatic movement within the church was this real physical, visceral experience of the Holy Spirit. So we would pray in tongues. Um, I participated in these miraculous healing sessions. Like, you know, we did this process called laying on of hands. So I was, and I would receive prophetic messages. I mean, I was up on stage in front of thousands speaking uh on behalf of like witnessing about Jesus and and delivering the messages that I was receiving so it's it's kind of um it's an odd way to grow up <laughs> um it was you know very it was very it was an all-consuming spiritual experience um m- my parents led a prayer group I planned liturgies I was the youth choir director so I was really in this whole movement and it's where my friends were. It's where it's where I started to work with my gifts. I had prophetic dreams. It was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty unusual childhood, but it, I think it really fed into the work I do now. When was your first conscious awareness of your um, connection with uh another reality? Um, It was really early in my life. Uh, You know, like, now I'm going to get personal, (laughs) like, um, 
you know, a lot of people who come to this work come because they have a history of trauma. And that was my experience. Not everybody. Um, but but when we're children, I think it's easy to connect to the spiritual realm, to like sort of leave our bodies and connect to the spiritual realm when something scary is happening on earth. Um, because there's a comfort there and there's a sense of relief. And that was how I sort of started becoming more comfortable with the spiritual realm than I even was with the physical. Now, fortunately, I had, you know, I was able to, in developing my spiritual gifts in a very conscious way, when I discovered spiritualism, which is a religion that uh, that's where I did most of my psychic mediumship training, when I was able to, to, to move into this in a conscious way, I was able to heal all of that trauma and come to understand it in a way that allowed me to, to find out how to use my experience to be of service and to, to help others and to give back. Um, so, so, you know, it, it, I think I've always just had that, that spiritual I've always had that a spiritual awareness, that awareness of other realms. So what I think I heard you say was that, and it's absolutely true, was that you experienced early trauma, which absolutely connects many children to a reality beyond the physical because the physical is so painful. Mm-hmm. And so you had that experience early, um, but you got engaged with a spiritualist church later, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you got involved with astrology at, I think, age 14. That's correct. Which you said in another interview, that changed everything for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here you are as a young child in this evangelical Catholic movement. Uh, your gifts are encouraged, you're the youth choir director, you're up in front of thousands of people speaking in tongues and witnessing, yes? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so it's it's an understatement to say that it was encouraged, it was actually praised. Right. Yeah. So were your parents proud of you for this or simply accepting that this was your gift, nothing special? Or, I mean, if you're the the youth choir director and up on stage in front of thousands, that's not an ordinary experience for a child, right? Right. So how did they respond to the emergence of your gifts? They, they were very, they kind of pushed me in that direction. Hmm. They loved the response that I would get when I would speak up on stage or, you know, receive messages. And so when I was using my gifts within that, within the context of religion, Mm. they loved it. But when I was 14, a couple of things happened. First of all, I started, I went to, I went to a Catholic high school uh, that was kind of a more liberal Catholic high school. 
if, if there is such a thing. Um, but, you know, the nuns and the, the teachers in my Catholic school, they it was for the first time they were very insistent on using non-gender specific language for God. And so it was the first time when I started to think of God outside of the context of this white man. And it changed my whole understanding of the divine and it opened my world up. And then right after that, I, I discovered astrology at the public library. I just found a book about it and I, I checked it out. And suddenly I'm, I'm aware of this whole system of knowledge that I, that, that just put everything into, into perspective for me. Like it really offered some context for why I am the way I am and why I have these relationships with my family members. And so then I became, you know, uh, really interested in learning everything I could about that whole section of the library, the whole new age section of the library. And so I discovered Buddhist meditation. I discovered mindfulness. I read about witchcraft I started working with magic. That's really when I started moving in a direction of just spiritual seeking, try to find out what I believed and, you know, and to, and also to kind of separate myself from a religious ideology that was, that was limiting in terms of, uh, in terms of who I could be as a woman and as a lesbian, I was also becoming aware of my sexual orientation and knowing that I needed to find a way to express my spiritual self in, um, in a, in a, within an ideology that accepted who I was and where I could shine and be, be myself without having to hide. And how did your parents respond to that? They, um, it, it was, it was very, they were not happy. And in fact, I separated, we were separated from one another for several years. Um, and, you know, we still had interaction, but it was really clear that, that they thought I was going into the dark side and they were really concerned. I mean, my, my parents love me and I love them. And I think at the time, they were really concerned about what options would be open to me. They were concerned about my salvation. Um, and so they had a lot of, of, of fear about the choices I was making in my life. And it was, it was really, I mean, it was very difficult to be separated from them and my siblings because I'm so close to my siblings. And so I ended up trying to really like I spent a few years trying to walk a fine line between being who I was and expressing myself spiritually the way I was and and fitting in with them uh and so and so there were a couple of years where I just I sort of was trying to 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 walk how do I want to say this Sorry, hang on one second. <laughs> and I mean, this is, we're both being vulnerable. We're both uh -huh. being ourselves. So take your time. Take your okay. time. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I felt, 
I think there was a time when I did come out to them and I, I came out both as, you know, as, as a lesbian and also as someone who was moving away from the Catholic church, um, as a witch, uh, and, and it created a rift between us. And for a few years, I lived with that rift and really tried to tried to understand it. So I, 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 I studied I studied religion. I mean, I was deeply immersed in theology. Um, I was trying to understand it all, mostly so that I could validate my existence, my myself. And then and then it got too hard. And so I ended up allowing, I ended up putting myself and my ideas and my beliefs and my sexuality on hold and tried really hard to live in a framework that they would accept. You know, I married a man. I went, started going back to, to Catholic church and this didn't last long um, because it was really inauthentic to who I am and to who I, who I was and to the, the mission that I came here to fulfill, which is helping, helping people experience their spiritual power, helping people find their magic. So, so after, uh, every, everyone goes through a Saturn return, which is when Saturn goes back to the same place it was at the time of your birth, every 30, every 20, 28 to 30 years. And my Saturn return was a time of reclaiming my life and and moving away from from that inauthenticity and really just being myself in the world. And so that's when I started my astrology practice. That's when I um I left my marriage, which was very painful and very difficult. Um, but it was the only option I had uh for 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 being for for being alive on this earth. Mm. Let's just take a moment of silence because what you're saying is so beautiful. I just want to just breathe for a moment. Um, and so so powerful. Peace, peace. Mm. We go through so much pain, don't we, to become mm -hmm. who we are. It's just remarkable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned you came out to your parents as a lesbian and as a witch. And it's actually the first time in this conversation that we've used the witch language. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, clearly, uh, astrology is hard for people. Uh, intuitive medium gifts are hard for people. Magic is hard for people. But which is another word of immense power. Uh, so actually, you've, I mean, actually, we're similar in this in that, you know, I was born and raised in New York City, grew up, went to great schools undergraduate Harvard, graduate school at Yale, taught at Yale. I was on a tenure track. And then I left Yale 
uh, on a sabbatical, uh, ended up starting a school for delinquent kids in Bolinos and then started Commonweal. And if, if anybody had asked my professional advice about whether they should leave a tenure track position at Yale to start a school for delinquent kids and then do something as crazy as starting Commonwealth, I would have told them they were out of their minds. You know, you know I mean, that, this was not an excellent career move by any stretch of the imagination. Uh-huh. So I think it's fair to say that neither of us were looking for that trouble, right? I mean, right. Yes. In other words, I was, you know, I was happy being a, uh, on a tenure track at Yale. Uh, you were doing very well in this evangelical Catholic tradition where you were prized, but the universe had other plans for you. And, you know, as a lesbian, uh, they didn't really give you a space in conventional Catholicism for your you know, gender, sexuality, they didn't give you that. And mm-hmm. um, and then they don't, didn't have a lot of space for astrology. Um, so um, yet for me, I have to say, I, I, I don't, I'm, in fact, it's a question for you because sometimes, you know, I've studied religion and spirituality all my adult life and a series of the traditions have really opened for me. So My father was Jewish. My mother was Christian. He was secular. She had deep spiritual orientations, but she married this secular guy, but she thought she was a hidden Catholic. Mm -hmm. And so she never mentioned it to us growing up, but she had me snuck out and baptized by a Catholic (laughs) nurse. And then she always made a big deal about Christmas but in a way that could pass for secular. But when I was away at at prep school, I suddenly had this deep wish. There was a five o'clock service in the local Catholic church. And I thought, hey, if I go to the five o'clock Catholic service, I'll have the whole day off. I won't need to go to the school church. Uh, So I asked my parents permission and they turned me down. And it was a I was very angry with them. I thought I was angry with them because they were interfering with my autonomy of decision-making. But what I discovered over time was that the living Christ has been central to my spiritual reality. Mm. And that I find the living Christ most deeply in empty Catholic churches that have been prayed in for a long time, mm-hmm. not when services are going on. I have no interest in institutional Catholicism, but the living Christ, uh, if you know the work of Richard Rohr, who's a great teacher, he says the Christ is another word for everything. And he is completely ecumenical in his understanding of the Christ. So long story short, Sometimes when people ask me about my spiritual orientation, I say I am a Jewish, Christian, Buddhist, yogic, Sufi with Taoist influences. <laughs> and I name those five because each of those traditions, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, yoga, and the Sufi tradition, really opened for me in deep ways. And I don't find them incompatible at all. So, you know, I found my way to an experience of the living Christ, which my mother had, but she couldn't talk about. 
And I actually didn't learn that she thought she was a secret Catholic until after her death, when my brother told me. Um, so our, and when we do our spiritual biographies, we're covering these experiences, which we don't usually talk about, mm -hmm. is profound. So the question that led me to for you is, since you needed to separate yourself from a very patriarchal, uh, evangelical, Catholic tradition, how do you hold the Christ and indeed Catholicism in your spiritual identity today? I mean, is it part of it or is it something you really needed to leave behind? Because many Catholics I know, particularly people who are profoundly Catholic, they really had to leave it uh, in order to recover. And I'm, I know you had to leave it, but did have you stayed separated or did that aspect of your identity uh, in transformed form remain with you? Mm. I First of all, I love the Catholic Church. I mm. love the mystical tradition of the Catholic Church. Mm. And I mean, I have had some of my most profound mystic experiences receiving communion. Mm -hmm. I, I love the idea of the sacraments and the, the meaning that goes behind them. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 I really hold that Catholic identity strong within myself. And, you know, I, I, I use the word witch because I'm, I, I think we should reclaim that word just because mm -hmm. it's, it's been misappropriate. It's been um, it's a, it's been inappropriately used um, to to oppress women. Um, but uh, but ultimately, I, I have that living experience of Christ that you described so beautifully. Um, and I've also you know spent I've spent a lot of time trying to integrate the different spiritual ideas that I have, because I think at the end of the day, we're still talking about the same, the same spiritual energy. And this is one of the things that I address in, in my book. It's like magic is, is the flow of what we might call the Holy Spirit. I actually did my master's thesis on this topic on, um, on, on, I, I, I studied the witch trials of the early modern period in Europe and and from that started to understand that that really what we were what I was researching was power and the embodiment of spiritual power. And uh, Pope John Paul II, um, he he wrote a, he wrote an encyclical. I don't know if it was an exactly an encyclical, but he wrote a, he wrote he wrote about the Holy Spirit and the way that he described the Holy Spirit was very much very similar to what I read about or what I experienced in my own practice of, uh, you know, the, the kinds of spiritual experiences that we have in, um, in rituals, in, um, in, in ceremony, in pagan experiences, the, that energy of the Holy Spirit can be described as creative, life-giving it's it is it's enlivening. It's 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 full of possibilities. It is the co-creative aspect of the Trinity, and so and so I, I I think that my Catholic identity and my Catholic 
upbringing and research and and you know I was really in it deeply I think all of that informs my understanding of various spiritual practices and more than anything the mystical experiences that I have that I've always had um, there's a, a strong relationship spiritual energy is spiritual energy no matter what we call it so so yeah so I haven't I haven't abandoned my Catholic my Catholicism mm. it's it's so deeply inside of me mm. um you know but I've found ways to to love it. In fact, this is when I was in, so I I went to theology, went to, I got my master's in theology at Loyola Marymount and I was really struggling with uh, systemic or systematic theology, which is basically like studying the dogmas of the church. And I was, I was struggling with it and I was getting a B, which is like, you know, I just, I don't get Bs. Um, And I was I was in prayer one night trying to figure out how to pass this test. And I heard my spirit, my guidance say, you have to love, you have to love the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. You have to love this. And it changed everything for me because then it wasn't an oppositional force that was trying that I was seeing myself in a conflict with it was I realized that in order to heal something a part of myself primarily that I have to love the 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 oppressor or the system that 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 change doesn't happen with hate change happens with acceptance with love with an attempt to understand and that doesn't mean I have to condone it. That doesn't mean I have to, that I have to participate in it. It just means that I have to see everything through the lens of love. And, and I got an A on the paper. <laughs> so, so, so it, it, but it really shifted things for me and, and it allowed me to, 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 to approach the, my understanding of sacrament and of faith and of, of the tradition of the Catholic church. I mean, so much, one of the things I love about Catholicism is that it's both, it's both faith and tradition. Like, so it's, it, it looks, and also there's a real, you know, Catholic ideology is, 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 is formed and structured from philosophy, from actually pagan religion, like, so, so I was able to to appreciate things about Catholicism that I don't think I would have otherwise. Hmm. So much that you're saying goes so deep. I just let's go back into quiet for just a minute because it's so so profound. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Rachel Lang and host Michael Lerner. Peace, peace. So many directions I want to go, so I have to take them one at a time. But the first most obvious question to me is, were you able to reconcile with your parents and have they accepted you as you are? Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. You know, one thing I will say about my parents is they don't love that I do astrology. They actually said they won't buy my book. 
And that's okay. I mean, that, that really is, they didn't come to my wedding. There, there have been a lot of, a lot of things throughout the course of our lives that, that have been, that have been challenging for us. And at the same time, I never for one second doubt their love mm-hmm. and their commitment. Um, and they're, they're the kind of people who are willing to look at the decisions that they've made or look at things that have happened in the past and take responsibility for them. And, um, and I think one of the, we, we do this dance, my parents and I, where we teach each other, we learn each, we learn from each other, we stretch, we grow. And, and at the, and, and it always comes back to love. And so they have, they're always there in really significant ways when I need them most and like, and vice versa. And, um, and, you know, I, I think they've come to accept me. They've come to love my wife and they've visited a number of times and we go visit them. And we have really deep conversations about our differences, but it, it has been one of the bigger challenges. It has been one of the reasons why I think it's been hard to, to, to really um, be out with this work and only recently have I have I moved beyond a lot of those a lot of those challenges. Um, uh, and I know some people listening might think like, you know, you're an adult. <laughs> why, why are your your parents still an influence on you? Uh, but I, I'll just reflect that that you know I I have Saturn. For those of listening who know astrology, you know I have Saturn in my fourth house of home and family. And that has shaped a lot of my experience um, because Saturn is where we do our work and it's where we learn our hard lessons. But in mastering those lessons, then we become we become teachers. And um, and so I think I think that's been that's been a defining point of my relationship with my parents. You know, I found tears coming to my eyes just now, which doesn't happen all the time because I'm not an easy tearer upper. But um, the thought that came to me was um, if they haven't done so already, I hope they discover how to be truly proud of you. Mm -hmm. I really do, because you're an extraordinary being and you are indeed faithful to the living Christ and the church in ways that the church needs to grow into. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pope Francis is trying to grow the church into this, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, when he was asked about gay people and he said, who am I to judge, you know? Uh, so he's trying. Uh, yeah, and and you and I know there are these both unbelievably beautiful, uh, deep mystical traditions within Catholicism, like the one that your parents were in, which was, you know, more evangelical concrete. But there are, I mean, you know, Richard Rohr, uh, uh, for those who don't know his work at the Center for Action and Contemplation, I read his letter every day. And, um, you know, he is one of the, the real true beauties. And then you have people like Thomas Berry, who's, uh, you know, earth-centered, uh, 
Catholicism is so powerful, and Teilhard de Chardin, mm-hmm. who did the amazing work uh, uh, early on, the predecessor of Thomas Berry. A friend of mine, Mary Evelyn Tucker, who teaches religion at Yale with her husband, John Grimm, and is a kind of lineage holder for both uh, Thomas Berry and Teilhard de Chardin, and is herself Catholic, but uh, with immense erudition about uh, all the world religions, particularly uh, Chinese. So there are ways of being Catholic that are so profound, and that is true for every single tradition. I mean, anybody who takes you know, the fundamentalisms of the different faiths. Every faith has a fundamentalism, and every faith has a universal mystical aspect. And my way of understanding it is that the mystical light is at the heart, but it is not visible to everybody because a lot of people need rules and order and quite concrete things. So every tradition needs to meet all human beings at every level, from those who need black and white rules, where you get the fundamentalisms, to those who seek the mystical core. And so people have really thought about how does the mystical core relate to the external fundamentals, fundamentalisms. And among the most sophisticated of this are the Sufis. Uh, Ibn Arabi, the greatest mystical spiritual teacher in Uh, the Sufi tradition, which is part of Islam. And the Sufis have a saying about their relationship to Islam. And the saying is, don't strike at the face. Don't strike at the face. Meaning, you may have a mysticism that completely transcends the rules and so forth, but don't criticize the rules, which would be striking at the face. You know, Because the external structure is what enables the internal spirit to exist and be sustained in pure form in that tradition. So even though there's a level of deep contradiction between the mystical core and the fundamentalist exterior, uh, they need to coexist. Mm -hmm. And, And similarly, we who... You know, anybody who looks at, as so many Americans do, who look at Islam as a, at least a lesser religion and sometimes the face of the devil or whatever, Islam is an unbelievably beautiful tradition. Oh, yes, it is. Unbelievably beautiful. As is Buddhism, as is the Hindu tradition, as is Christianity, as is Judaism. So to me, the future has to be with an awareness of the heart of these mystical traditions essentially being one. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, that's in theology, as you know, that's a contradictory, I mean, that's a controversial position since many theologians hold that the idea of oneness at the heart of all the great spiritual traditions is is a mythology. Uh, And some people say, you know, truth is one, paths are money. They say, different paths lead us to get lost in the same woods. You know, they they reject the idea of oneness. But I have to say for myself that although I respect the idea that different mystical traditions don't lead to, you know, a single 
perennial truth or perennial wisdom or perennial philosophy, which is what Leibniz and Huxley believe. Um, I prefer to believe that they all lead to one place. Mm -hmm. But I realize that's a choice. It's not an ontological proof. Uh, It could be that they don't. But even if they don't, nonetheless, uh, we have to find a way for the spirit traditions to live together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think I think so. I think you're absolutely right because of all of the conflict and violence that have taken place as a result of religious differences and this perception yeah. that we're all different. Um, and I think I think this goes back to you know, one of the reasons why I felt so inspired to write about magic is because it, uh, and I can't, I can't help but smile when I think about it, um, because, because ultimately, I think magic is that spiritual, it's a spiritual force that, that awakens our curiosity, that brings the spirit to the physical, like it's the embodiment of spirit. And as you're talking about the commonalities between different religions, or um, you know, as you're as you're as as I was listening to to you um, speaking, I was thinking that that ultimately, you know, it's the it's the human experience that can connect. It's the way that we experience uh, spirit and spirituality in our bodies. That is ultimately like where I think we can all connect because you have mystics of different traditions explaining that they're having similar types of, 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 of experiences. Um, and, and it's, you know, I think that's where there is an opportunity to bring more people into alignment with their own spiritual selves I think then allows us to to dissolve the differences because the differences are just perception. Like you said, they're the mythologies, they're the stories. But stories and mythologies grow and change and evolve as we do. In you know, in in Catholicism, there was there's one there's there was one uh, like aha that I had in systematic theology, and that was I, I think it was in the in the section where we were learning about baptism, and the and and it was you know basically anyone can provide can do a baptism because the holy spirit holy spirit works in ways beyond our comprehension so even people from other religions can you know can attain afterlife like there there's there's an idea that the holy spirit can do whatever they want um and and so it sort of takes this idea of you have to follow the rules and there's only one path to heaven and there's only one God. And it says, but maybe not. And I, I always lean toward that because maybe not. <laughs> That's beautiful. So speaking of your book, let's come back to your book now. Um, uh, uh, say a little about your book. Uh, uh, for both people who will read it and people who won't. I'm I'm torn between saying too much about the book 
and encouraging people to read it because it's deeply accessible. Let's start there. It's written and designed. I mean, you're a very sophisticated person and you could have written a much more complicated book, but this book is written to welcome people. And I would say particularly women, although you make space for men by describing the feminine within all of us, but particularly women, the the illustrations and everything else, you're really writing for women who are uh, open to exploring uh, magic in their lives. So how would you introduce your book to our listeners? Why did you decide, since you had so many choices, to write in such a deeply accessible way? You know, you you just summarized my whole writing process. I have a whole nother book, <laughs> a whole other book that's uh, with re- with the research that I left out of this one, and and some of the ideas that are like like you said, a little bit more sophisticated. Um, and and ultimately, I just felt led to reach uh, reach my clients, the people who are just now starting to awaken to their spiritual gifts, who are so curious about how to deepen their intuition, how to work with ritual. And so I wanted something, I wanted to to write something and present something that gives, gives people permission, no matter where they are in their spiritual journey, to start exploring, start exploring aspects of themselves and, and magic, working with magic. I think it can be so intimidating when you know you you read the picatrix or you read hermetic texts like there's a lot of details about when to plan rituals and how to work with certain things and and it can be a little intimidating um when you're just starting out like maybe someone is has been raised in a in an organized or traditional religion and now they're starting to realize that there's more um, and so I wanted to speak to to those people as well as to those who can, you know, who have been in this world for a while and might be hungry for new ideas. That's beautiful. And you also uh, you bring in other aspects of your experience and so forth. So, for example, you bring in your experience with uh, uh, with gems, with semi precious stones, and you. Uh, you have a beautiful chart toward the end where you have uh, all the different astrological signs and the gems that go with each one. Um, I've I've worked with uh, semi-precious stones. I was actually, I didn't believe in it at all. I hadn't even thought about it. And uh, one day there's a up on uh, Whidbey Island where I am right now in the town of Langley, there's a little gem store. And I walked in and there was a, a little tangerine flake uh, crystal. Mm. Uh, and um, I picked it up and it, something spoke to me and um, I brought it home and I sort of held it and went to sleep with it. And the next morning I woke up and an area of trauma in my navel, which I've lived with since I was a little boy, which is a whole other story, um, it had very significantly diminished. Mm. Yeah. And I thought, whoa, what is this all about? So 
I began to take a, a dive into uh, that amazing power, you know. I mean, talk about the power of the earth. All of these things are formed in the earth, you know. Over under, millions of years. And sometimes. under immense pressure. Right. Yeah. So, um, so, and you integrate that in, you talk about potions. You'd, so you really create a very rich context for magic and astrology and uh, it's a very very powerful and so so simple and welcoming in the format that you've created yeah what else would you like to say about the book what else speaks to you from it that you'd like to share yeah, I think, well, I think, you know, just piggybacking on what you were talking about with crystals and with mm-hmm. potions and rituals, really the purpose behind those, uh, behind using tools, working with, working mm-hmm. in a very specific way, it's when we are creating sacred space or identifying something as sacred in our space then we're developing a relation, a, d- a different kind of relationship with it. And, um, and so I think, I think that that part of what I was hoping to communicate is that everything in our everyday lives can be safe is sacred if we are bringing the right kind of attention to it. So I even talk about like, you know, when I, when I make dinner, um, I have a special spoon that I call my magic wand I have uh, a pot that I call my cauldron. And when I'm feeding groups of people, like, you know, friends that are coming over or even my wife, sometimes I am, I am bringing my full awareness, my full presence, my full attention to something. And I'm offering an intention for whatever, whatever it is. Um, And, and when we see our lives as sacred, then we're less inclined to harm others, to we're very intentional. We become more intentional about the the footprint that we're leaving on the earth. We start to see everything as as alive around us and that we're a part of it. And so this is what magic is. Magic is the raven flying outside of my window, which it does all the time. And, 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 and me being able to stop and, and bring awareness to something that other, otherwise I might just overlook and, and, and see myself as part of a, of part of the, of the world in a way that is, that is magical, that is exciting, that is, that is supportive. Um, And, and so, you know, I was really hoping to help others see the world the way that I do. Uh, because I think, I think that, that the more we can do that, the more we can be in integrity with the world and with one another, and the more we can bring peace to the world, peace within ourselves, peace within our families and relationships, and then ultimately promote a culture of peace. I think one of the things you offer with the book is something that the great religions and spiritual traditions offer, which is that when rituals are created with pure and good intention, they create safe containers for a spirit 
to for us to access spirit. In other words, because if we access spirit helter-skelter with mixed intentions or even bad intentions, um, you know, that's that's a form of magic too, but that's that's a harmful magic. And uh, and actually, when you think about the traditions of of witchcraft, it's not only that they've been misappropriated by uh, the white patriarchy to oppress women, but if you look at the history of witchcraft in many many cultures around the world, if you go to the Wikipedia entry on witchcraft. In fact, in many cultures, it was used to cast evil spells on people and stuff like that. So it has, talk about embracing our dark side, witchcraft has its dark side, which is an ancient one, you know, and actually you could even say a fairly dominant one, uh, at least the way history has been written, probably largely by men. But, you know, uh, but if, if, if that history needs correcting, that's going to be a big job. But, <laughs> But I wanted to ask you in that light, uh, one of the modern traditions of witchcraft, which focuses on the positive, obviously, is Wicca. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to ask you how far you've studied with Wicca, what is your relationship to Wicca, what do you think of Wicca? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I, I studied it pretty, pretty religiously um, when it in my early in my early 20s. And it, like, I, I've 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 come and gone from it. Um, I don't consider myself a practicing Wiccan, mm-hmm. um, but I know a lot about it. And I do incorporate a lot of the ideas and rituals and and mm-hmm. tools and, te- and techniques into my ritual practice now. Um, but, but like I was saying before, I think I've found ways to integrate all of the spiritual idea, like with Catholicism, with Wicca, with Buddhist meditation, like there, I, I love certain things about all different religions that I've studied. Mm. Um, uh, but I do think I, going back to what you said about, about the misuses of, of magic in the past. I mean, yes, you're right. This there is a dark, there is a dark side to any, I mean, I think to any religion, but I think for witchcraft in particular, because um there was a there was a real um, you know, and I I studied the witch trials and a lot of the a lot of the propaganda that was created to to justify the killing of witches. Yeah. Um, and it's sim- they use similar colonists use similar ones against the indigenous people of, you know, the Native Americans um, against, you know, uh, uh, the uh, indigenous of 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 Australia. Like the so so the rhetoric of black magic or dark arts or hexing and harming, a lot of that has been told under that under with an agenda. I couldn't agree with that more. I think, I mean, it's a really interesting conversation because on the one hand, there is no question that going back to the uh, emergence uh, of the patriarchal gods and monotheism, but even without monotheism, even the polytheistic uh, gods where Zeus, for example, the patriarch was in charge of the gods that included women. But you know, many of the original religions were were matriarchal. Mm-hmm. And so when the patriarchal religions emerged, 
no question that they oppressed uh, women and the goddess. No question about it. And similarly, absolutely no question that Christianity, uh, uh, you know, used um, used uh, accusations of witchcraft to oppress the immense power of women's access to spirit. No question about it. So we can agree with all that. And when you look at the Wikipedia entry on witchcraft and look at all the traditions in Africa and elsewhere, where a lot of it was about casting spells. But having said that, I think it's a a partial reading of um, African traditions because I've read uh, other great pieces of work on African religion that make clear that the casting of negative spells was only a small part of a very affirmative religious tradition. So we're not going to solve that one today, but it's a, uh, it's a rich tradition that you're absolutely right, has been read negatively and in fact, realistically was negative in terms of of uh, the oppression of women and women's access to power. Yeah. But I also want to go back to your, you described your training in the spiritualist church. Uh, I have a, a beloved friend at Commonweal, Jennifer Stoll, who's the director of the retreat center and is very interested in things uh, mysterious. And she has taken several of us, my wife and I included, to the spiritualist church in San Francisco where we've had the experiences of watching uh, uh, the uh, ministers or whatever they're called uh, access uh, the uh, those who have gone beyond for people in the congregation. So how much time did you spend in the spiritualist church learning those uh, those ways? Mm, several several years mm. there when I when I first, um, so when I was first discovering astrology and I mean, when I first discovered astrology, I was hooked and I wanted to learn everything I could. Um, and I, there was a little metaphysical bookstore and it was like in the basement of a retail space in the Midwest where I lived. And I would go and buy like like spend all of my money on books. Um, and, and I, I discovered a lot about like a lot of the old esoteric texts. I read Alice Bailey. I read a lot of hermetic literature, um, and, uh, and, and also astrology. And I discovered that they had these services on, you know, once a, once a month on sun, on a Sunday night. And I didn't know anything about spiritualism. You know, I think spirit led me there. and. Um, and so that's uh, that's when I discovered spiritualism. And there we would set up these old metal folding chairs and put them in a circle, and and um, and and it wasn't very long into attending those services that I got. I was one of the ones who would stand up in the center and give messages. Um, it, it just it was a natural. It was just natural talent for me, and uh, I was like, oh, I can do this. Um, and I, I, I loved it. So I did it for several years. How old were you then? How old were you then? I was 18. You're listening to a TNS conversation with Rachel Lang and host Michael Lerner.
So four years after you discovered astrology at 14, at 18, you were giving readings. In <laughs> yes, yes. Going back to the book for a moment, there were a few things that were very striking that you described uh, as magic. Uh, one was an experience with a circle of wolves. Would mm. you describe that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There. There. So I was leading a ritual. Just a, a friend of mine and I on Halloween. It was a full moon, and we were doing a, a ritual. Uh, and so we walked out into this field in the middle of of Missouri, and only under the light of the moon. And suddenly this pack of wild dogs circled Mm. us, like formed an entire circle around us. We saw them running in a line and coming into a circle around us. And we both looked at each other like this, like this is not going to go well. And suddenly there was an owl that just flew directly over our heads and, you know, hooted. And the, the circle of dogs immediately dispersed and walked away. Mm. And he, you know, the friend, he looked at me and he said, oh my gosh, you're a witch. And, and he's like, I got to get out of here. I, and I think it, it kind of, after that, he, you know, he called me the next day and he said, I don't know what you did. I don't know what that was, but that's really freaky. And it, you know, so our, our relationship sort of started drifting apart after that. <laughs> you had a, a, I thought it was a circle of wolves, it was a circle of dogs, but you had another incident uh, with your sweater uh, igniting. Tell us about that. Yes. So I, I was, I loved silver, um, silver raven wolf was a, is a, is a high priestess and, and uh, I, I read all of her books and I studied her and she came to town and she led a, a ritual and she was going around to pick out some pick someone who was going to go put intentions in a cauldron and i i was like she's going to pick me she's going to pick me i know she, she she did so i was so nervous i wanted to do you know i was you know kind of shy and i was you know a new little budding wiccan and uh and so i i got up and and put the i was so focused on putting the intentions in the cauldron in the right way that I didn't notice that my sweater was on fire. And so I looked, as soon as I saw the flames, I looked up at her face and she was shocked. And as soon as our eyes met, the fire disappeared, like just went away, no traces of it, nothing. And and I'll never forget her face. We were both like, what just happened? And so I went back and sat down and all of my friends were looking at me and, um, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty shocking. So I had those kinds of experiences early on. Um, and in, in all of my experience working with magic, being in those circles, one of the, the guidelines that we had was do as you will harm none or the rule of three, anything that you, any energy that you send out comes back to you threefold. So any spells or anything that you that you would do to affect the will or affect consciousness in a way that that would you know potentially be controlling or harmful to another or manipulative you know that that energy is going to come back and so 
And so in all the rituals and all the, the things that I participated in, it was always, there was always such a strong uh, focus on being in integrity with the magic that we do. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so I had these incredible magical experiences, but I never really experienced some of the manipulative aspects of working with magic. Yeah, the rule of three is really interesting. Um, and, um, it has a long history, um, in, in the, uh, but there's something also in Wicca called the reed, the long reed, R-E-D-E. Did you connect with that? Uh, two eight words the of the Wiccan read do you do you connect with that do you resonate with that or not you know I'm not really familiar with what that is okay yeah it's uh it's um it, it is a it's a well you can look it up it's it's okay. a really interesting part but the other point in it is the rule of three mm-hmm. uh which is also very ancient and you find it in Rudolf Steiner's anthroposophical tradition too. So it's right. it's come right. from many different places. Mm-hmm. So as our time, we've got another 15 minutes or so. We promised we wouldn't go over two hours. But as our time begins to um, uh, move toward completion, what else would you like to explore that we haven't talked about yet? What what aspect of your life uh, and your work? Um, uh, I guess a question I would ask is, um, maybe this is one way of framing it. You've just put out, uh, when, when this appears, this beautiful new book on magic, which I hope many people will read. Um, you certainly opened me up uh, to a direct engagement with magic and witchcraft, which which I had not done before. I mean, I clearly have connected with astrology and uh, with intuition, Um, but magic I had certainly read about, but I'd never talked to a practitioner. Um, And so my question is, as you, knowing your own astrology, well, let's start with this. Mm-hmm. What is your astrology? <laughs> As you understand your astrology, looking forward over the next five or 10 years, what do you see for yourself and what is your intention for yourself? It's a, that's a great question. Um, so my astrology is uh, I, I am a Libra sun with a Gemini moon and Taurus rising. And I have a stellium in Scorpio, including my North Node, which I just gave away my age. Um, but, um, but the you know the the North Node in Scorpio is it's associated with magic, and it's in the my North Node is in the sixth house, which is the house that that I connect with ritual with daily ritual and ritual practices, and as well as well being and health and service. Um, and you know, I'm getting ready for a nodal opposition, uh, next year. And I also have Pluto, uh, get Pluto is going to be entering Aquarius in 2023, 2024, and it's going to be aspecting my moon and Jupiter and ascendant all like that whole collection. And so 
And so I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that that will open up more more writing and more um, more opportunities for 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 publication. I've got a couple of other books that are in my mind, um, and uh, and it it should be an adventure. Whenever we have Pluto transits, um, you know Pluto for for better or for worse, Pluto loves to inspire change and change that is in the service of, of, of our soul and our evolution. So I'm looking ahead and seeing Pluto kind of shining down in a, in a, in a pretty favorable way. Uh, and thinking that I'm just going to allow myself to be open to whatever, to whatever happens, whatever happens next. Mm. What are the greatest unanswered questions for you in your life? So many. Uh, and I just love questions. I, I love, I love that that's that line by Rilke, which you know, live in the questions. Yeah, um, yeah the because uh, questions are so much more interesting than answers. Mm-hmm. You know, how how can I how can I be more of service? to spirit, to God, where would you like for me to go? What, what do you want me to say? Where are you leading me? Um, so that's a big question that I'm, I'm really focused on right now, you know, having just finished this book, wondering what's next. And then the other questions I have are, you know, how can we, how can we bring more peace to, to this planet? And how can I participate in that movement? And then I have some other questions, some personal questions, like about certain things in my life. Why did this happen? And and um, you know those kinds of those kinds of things as well. Well, Rachel, as we first of all, I want to say I've just enjoyed this immensely, and I look forward to of ongoing friendship. I'm so grateful for the reading that you did for me. Um, I'm sure I will come back for more. Uh, and I think your new book, Modern Magic, is really a lovely introduction uh, for uh, people who are beginning to explore and also for people who are knowledgeable to see how uh, an author, uh, a medium, an astrologer, to see how you were able to bring it to a simplicity that can really reach very large numbers of people. So I hope it does touch many people. And I hope it helps bring magic and mysticism and intuitive knowing uh, and all the great feminine traditions of knowing, which are so needed today. You know, my hope and prayer is that you help recenter our global civilization and in those that you are a true contributor to that so as we end any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with just another another statement of gratitude i've loved this conversation and i i look forward to to having more conversations with you about these topics and other things in the future so thank you so much for just giving me the opportunity to be here with you today and talk about some of my favorite things and to hear also your reflections on them and to hear some of your experiences. I loved what you shared 
just about your your own experience with Christ and your own spiritual um, background. So it's been a really deep and beautiful uh, conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. Rachel Lang, astrologer, medium, intuitive, author of a beautiful new book on magic. Thank you for being with us at The New School. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to a TNS conversation with Rachel Lang and host Michael Lerner. Thank you for listening to TNS, The New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams, and our theme music is by Jeremy Cohen. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening.